Hello, and welcome to Riffs on Riffs, where we explore the collision of original and sample tracks and the artists who made them. I'm your host, Joe Watson. I'm here with my co-host, Toby Braswell, who a few minutes ago was uh, impersonating me. I, I heard you <laughs> through the... I don't you know if you that. knew that, that but uh, that. we, we yeah. couldn't get it on tape, but I did hear it. <laughs> Man, I'm having a fantastic musical week, if you will, oh. right? I went to, I saw like two of my favorite MCs, like basically within a week, right? Wow. Uh, Apathy and also Common here in town. I mean, oh, I, I know yeah, Common was here. That's cool. Common was here on Friday, man. It was a beautiful time, man. It gives a, a heck of a show. So yeah, I mean, I I'm, that. I'm great. I'm All great. Right. Thanks so, for asking. Yeah. <laughs> you ready to dive into some stuff? Let's do it, man. Let's get All it. Right. Well, together on the show, we listen to the legendary tracks and the timeless, but sometimes not so well-known songs that they sampled from. Toad, what are we listening to today? So we are listening to the song Bring the Noise by Anthrax and Public Enemy. Now, partner, I am personally excited for you on this episode. This is one that you've been waiting for for like a long time. I have. I am really excited about this show. This is like the golden ticket, right? In Charlie's hand walking into the uh-huh. Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory and all of that. This is, this is yeah, it for you. What happens to those kids in the, in the Chocolate uh, Factory? Man, Oompa Loompas, man. This is, it's, <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So uh, it's a long story. (laughs) All right, all right. So let's hop in the DeLorean and find out what track was sampled, or in this case, re-recorded to make this hit. Rewind. Rewind. Man, there's nobody's voice is like his voice. Chuck can bring it. Man. Yeah, I would agree. So clear, commanding. Commands a man's voice. I just had a discussion with my daughter about how Disney male characters, unless they're the villains, do not have manly voices. This is this. That's a whole yeah, thing. We had a whole. She, she kind of begrudgingly agreed. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. can you please tell the good people what we are listening to? We are listening to Public Enemy. It's one of the most respected and well-known rap groups of all time. So this band was formed in the middle of the 80s when Carlton Rittenhauer, a.k.a. Chuck D., and William Drayton, a.k.a. Flavor Flav, mm-hmm. met at Adelphi University. So a mobile DJing unit called Spectrum City was looking for an MC, and Chuck D. fit the bill. It was exactly what they were looking for. Yep, and Spectrum City released a single called Check out the radio with the song on the backside called Lies. So let's listen to Lies. Hold back on those lies. Come on, realize the truth is the real prize. Man, it's taking it back, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So Chuck D worked at radio station WBAU, and he used the recorded tracks for two reasons. So one was to promote his radio station, and the other one was to actually address a situation where a local MC wanted to battle him because Chuck would not play his records on the radio. Really? So it, it, <laughs> come on. Exa- exactly. <laughs> So because of that, it's ser- seriously. So uh, Chuck said that it made him feel like Public Enemy Number One, right? Wow. So uh, well, yeah. so he actually made a song called Public Enemy Number One, and that got the attention of a producer you might have heard of, uh, Rick Rubin. Yeah. Who? Yeah. Kinda kind of a big deal. Set right? a goal to sign him after that. 
Right. So I heard that it took a lot of persuading to have Chuck sign with Def Jam. But eventually he did say yes and recruited Spectrum City members, brothers Hank and Keith Shockley, Eric Sadler, Richard Griffin, a.k.a. Professor Griff, Flavor Flav, and Terminator X. Mm -hmm. So the premise of the band was to create a hard-hitting rap group that addressed the topics that affected black youth. And Public Enemy was an opening act for the Beastie Boys after the License to Ill release, and soon after released their debut album entitled Yo, Bum Rush the Show on February 10th, 1987. Let's listen to one of the singles from that album. This is a track called Public Enemy Number 1, a.k.a. Chuck D. <laughs> Remember that hum? Just that monotone yeah. hum? Yeah. Yeah, that's how hip-hop was back in the day. It was dirty, gr- grimy. I kind of wanted to, like, I don't know, I just wanted to mix it out. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I hear you. You know, people pay a lot of money to not to, to kind of create that. that. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. So the debut album was actually, you know, pretty well-received, and it cleared the way for Public Enemy to release their second album, entitled It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. So this That's kind of our theme song too, isn't it? It, it takes you a and nation. I, yeah. It takes it ta- a nation of millions. It, it does. Hold us back. It does. This album contains several hits, including our first featured track. Before we get to that track specifically, I did want to play one of the other singles from this. It's called Don't Believe the Hype, which hit number 18 on the US R&B charts. One of my favorites. Let's, let's listen to that. I don't run for the sake of Ritalin. So claiming that I'm a smuggler. Some say I never heard yeah. of a rap burglar, false media. We don't need it, do we? It's fingers with a beat of you, dig me. Your terminator. And Flav is underrated too. I'm sorry. It was a perfect pairing. It was a perfect pairing. It's a perfect pairing. Like the way their voices are, it's perfect pairing. Mm-hmm. And I love the sample of Houdini's 1986 track Fugitive in the chorus there. Can we just hear that intro from Houdini? Because yeah. it's just it's just makes Let's me do smile. It. Let's do it. Let's do it again. <laughs> it's like a, you know what? It's another Disney thing. It reminds me of when uh, when when the, when the uh, hyenas hear Mufasa, right? Like, Mufasa, and they're like, "Ooh, do it again, do it again." So we need Chuck D as a Disney character. You're done for that. That's two times we talked about Disney today. Two times. If you end the show sh- singing a song from Frozen, I'm out of here. That's it. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. All right, so now we're going to get into our first feature track, Bring the Noise, which features samples of numerous tracks. As this was the heyday of sampling before lawsuits and copyright yeah. violations came into play. So let's take a listen to funk diva Marva Whitney and her 1969 track, It's My Thing. Tell them, girl. It's been sampled a lot, too. NWA used it. I wonder why. Right? (laughs) Exactly. You hear that drum? Yeah. Mm. Well, let's hear how Public Enemy used it for Bring the Noise. What a brother know once again back is the incredible. They just chopped it, right? Just have that like and it's kinda like that staccato. It's Mm -hmm. cool. Okay, so of course we have the ubiquitous sample of James Brown's Funky Drummer and an increase in tempo from rap had typically been prior to this track. Yeah, so a lot of rap of that era was around like 99 to 100 beats per minute, and Chuck D made a conscious decision to up the tempo, saying, We jetted it up to 109. We changed the whole approach to rap by putting a different rhyme style over it. We tried to make that album like Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On in a fast, hectic rhythm. Then, once we'd established that pattern, everybody followed. (laughs) 
So Bring the Noise also samples some Funkadelic, and you know who played bass for Funkadelic. I do. Bootsy, baby! That's right, that's right. Actually, unfortunately, he didn't play bass on this track, the appropriately titled Get Off Your Ass and Jam. Mm -hmm. Can we say that on a family show? Bleep me if we need to. We also can't play the main part of this song, but (laughs) fortunately the sample is the guitar intro, so let's just hear that. Yeah, and then the song really goes, which I would love to hear because it's so funky, but we can't. Can't, no, well, thank God for YouTube. So, crazy story about the guitar solos that run through this song. You remember that story we told about the the baby on the Aaliyah song, Are You That Somebody? Oh, yeah, you mean the one that no one knows who that baby really is because it was recorded basically by a door-to-door salesman for a sound library? Yeah, that's exactly the story I'm talking about. We actually have a similar story for this Funkadelic track. So George Clinton revealed that he has no idea who laid down the guitar licks for this song. (laughs) Well, apparently they went out for a smoke break, which I'm sure it was just cigarettes. Absolutely. And when they came back, there was, which is still bad for you kids. (laughs) And when they came back, there was some dude who had just wandered into the studio and said he played guitar and asked for some cash to play with the band. So George goes on to say, we set him up, started the track, and he just started to play like he was possessed. He did all this rock and roll stuff that we hadn't heard for years. And he did it for the entirety of the track. And when the song had ended, he didn't even stop. All of us were there, Google-eyed, saying, damn. We had agreed on 25 bucks, but I gave him 50 because I loved it. That is awesome. Can you imagine that, by the way? Just I just want to roll in. I'm rolling into George Clinton's studio next mm. week just for the I, record. I know. I know. <laughs> I, I'm telling you. Well, the guy disappeared, and George was never able to find him, so he goes uncredited on the record. There's a session player by the name of Paul Warren who claims to be the cat that laid down those licks on his website, but it's never been confirmed. But anyway, back to Public Enemy. Their next album, Fear of a Black Planet, was released in April of 1990 and proved to be their most successful. So successful, in fact, that it was picked by the Library of Congress to be preserved. Now, partner, let me tell you this, okay? How awesome would it be for us to have our podcast preserved? That's one of my goals right there. Okay, well, that would be fantastic, but you know we we already have some pretty fantastic pod goals. So besides hosting the Grammys, which, you know, the Academy, if you're listening, once again, we are very interested. We're right here. Now we also want to be preserved in the Library of Congress. That's right. All right, I like it. I like, this is good, stretch goals. That's right. Well, Public Enemy released a single called 911 is a Joke, which addressed the slow emergency response in the black community. Let's take a listen to that. So get up and get, get, get down. 911 is a joke and don't sound. Get up and get, get, get down. Late 911 where's the late crown. Get up and get, get, get down. 911 is a joke in your town. Get up and get, get, get down. Late 911 where's the late crown. You know why you love this song? Right there. <laughs> Vincent Price, baby. I mean, can you imagine that. sampling Thriller now yeah, and getting away with man. it? There's no way it would no, happen. that's not happening. You're not doing that. You're not doing that. So I love music with a message, man. That's one reason. That's another reason yeah, why I love for this sure. track, right? So it also is it's interesting to hear music that contains messages that still apply years after its release. Yeah. So I remember this when this song actually came out, but I also remember listening to this. Sound of the funky drummer, music hitting your heart, cause I know you got soul. One of my favorite tracks, probably of all time, right here. Mm-hmm. 
Love it. Brings back a lot of memories, man. So this is Fight the Power, which was another song from this album that's very well known for its message. And it's also for the fact it was used as the theme song for Spike Lee's film, Do the Right Thing. So very classic. I mean, I actually just watched the opening credits for that movie just because that's the song that's actually being played. And it's got Rosie Perez yeah. dancing through the entire oh, thing. I forgot about Rosie Perez. Dude, it's yeah. incredible. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it yeah. almost distracts you from the message, but it's right. like, huh. Right. So when people tend to think about Public Enemy, they tend to think about Chuck D, and rightfully so, right? The power of his lyrics and his commanding voice. His Disney voice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's non-Disney voice, exactly. Or they think about Flavor Flav, who has to be considered one of the best hype men in hip-hop. Mm-hmm. One thing that's actually not talked about often enough is the production. Well, the Bomb Squad handled the production for Public Enemy, and it was composed of essentially the entire Public Enemy group and are credited for producing Vanessa Williams, Peter Gabriel, Hello Cool J, Paul Abdul, Big Daddy Kane, and and also one of one of your favorite groups from back in the day. Of all time. Of I'm, all time. Now this, that I didn't know. It not this just for the, the time in my life that this song was okay, out. Okay, I get you. Okay, yeah. for that time in my life. I mean, this, you talk about music with a message, right? A little tongue in cheek. But music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. Belle Biv DeVoe, aka BBD, was another group that was produced by the Bomb Squad. So they produced a couple of tracks on the debut album which sold 3 million records. That debut album was called Poison, of course. Full disclaimer, my favorite song from this album is Poison. So the song was actually produced by a guy named Elliot Strait, you know, a.k.a. Dr. Freeze. Now, why is that important, you asked Joe? Why is that so important? I'm sure you're going to tell me. I'm going to tell you, man. I'm going to tell you. So he actually stated that he was inspired by Kraftwerk. What? While pro- yes, by Kraftwerk, our nemesis. <laughs> he was like, I'm never making making a song that sounds like these guys. No, he's like, I love, he loved Kraftwerk. Wow. And he said they actually inspired, he said his t- entire approach to music changed because of Kraftwerk and listened to like Trans Euro Express and all that. Well, so, so now there's two fans. There's Dr. Freeze and Eric the producer. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so when I read that, I almost changed my mind about liking the song Poison, right? And then I listened to it again. Yeah, I still love it. Yeah. I, st- I still love yeah, I it. I see you do. Yeah. And, like, it's got a, a public service announcement to it as well, right? You, <laughs> okay, you, you're going to step in something. You should just stop right now. Just stop. <laughs> you never try. Well, you okay, know what see, I mean. right? Just stop. I know you want to. I'm, I'm advising you against it. I don't have to say it. They said it for me. <laughs> well, another interesting note about Public Enemy's production and how they were influenced by their work with Anthrax. Chuck D recalls some of those early shows together and admits that for as much energy and talent that Public Enemy brought to the stage, in his own words, Anthrax wiped the floor with us when they performed. He realized that some of that was due to stage production, like lighting and theatrics. So Anthrax had all of that dialed in, largely due to the talents of their crew chief and lighting designer, Rick Downey. What's cool about Rick is that he was also the drum tech for Albert Bouchard in Blue Oyster Cult, until Bouchard left the band, and Rick took over as the drummer until 1985. That's, that's, we should insert that's a more cool. cowbell reference yeah. here, too, at some point. <laughs> Absolutely. So he eventually made his way back to managing tours, and did a ton of them, and he was actually in charge of lighting and staging for Anthrax on that joint tour with Public Enemy. 
So Rick then instructed a Public Enemy tour member on lighting and staging. And as a result, P.E. stage shows began to match the energy and power of his performers. Man, just to be at one of those shows, it must have been epic. All right, let's turn our attention now to Anthrax. Gotta say, you're right. I'm excited to talk about one of the big four in this episode. These guys were staples of my formative years, along with the Thrash Brothers in Arms, Metallica, Megadeth. Never a big Slayer fan, but I like bands like Testament. In part because Chuck Billy has one of the best all-time voices in metal. Speaking of which, if we're going to get into metal, I just I want to hear one of Chuck's growls. So sure, let's do let's it. Let's do a little Envy Life from Practice What You Preach. Man. What did he have for breakfast? That's what but I got then, to but know. But then to take it up to the register he's singing in now, that dude has an insane voice. So bands like Testament were part of the Bay Area thrash scene, but Anthrax was actually based on the East Coast and truly a pioneering band in the collaboration between rap and metal. So one can make the argument that later rap-metal combos were attempting to jump on the bandwagon, but while Anthrax never fully strayed from their metal roots, they did have a major impact on so many rap-metal hybrids in the new metal, NU metal for all you kids, that would follow. Before we get into all of that, let's learn a little bit more about Anthrax. So, Joe, please do us the honor and give us a little history. All right. Well, Anthrax was formed in Queens in 1981 by guitarist Scott Ian and bassist Dan Lilker, which is a hard name to say. It's it Lil is Kerr. hard. I'm glad it's like you... Lil Kerr. Oh, yeah. another rap name. Lil right. Kerr. <laughs> Lil Kerr. <laughs> well, they took the name of their band from a biology textbook because it sounded sufficiently evil. So Lil Kerr would leave the band after the release of their first album, 1984's Fistful of Metal, and go on to form the band Nuclear Assault. So clearly, there's a theme going on here, right? Doom and gloom, my friend. This is metal. Mm-hmm. Well, after the first album, Anthrax settled into the lineup of Scott Ian, Danny Spitz on guitar, Charlie Benante on drums, Frank Bello on bass, and Joey Belladonna singing lead vocals. So they would release their second studio album, Spreading the Disease, in 1985. Let's listen to the lone single from that album, Madhouse. I like when they change up the beat like that, like like that. Bah, 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 bah. Mm-hmm. I like that. Well, 1987 was a busy year for Anthrax. In January, they released the I'm the Man EP in Taupe. Look, I, I got to tell you, this was a regular staple on the boombox for what? our eighth grade basketball trips. What? We would always, because there's like three versions of this, of this I'm the Man song, uh-huh. and we would always see if we'd get away with playing the deaf, uncensored version oh boy. until the coaches would tell us to see, turn it off. You yeah. guys just want to do more drills out there. That's what that is, more running around. <laughs> Keep running! Keep running! Well, all right, let's just listen to the clean radio edit of I'm the Man then. Don't sound so bored. <laughs> <laughs> no way! Socks. Man, what's the matter with you? Man, what's the matter with you? <laughs> the only thing hard is the smell of my feet. Don't listen, or cause you might get dissed. Don't take the lizard or take a chair. 
<laughs> so this essentially is a, it's a novelty song, right? So, and, and Scott Ian had referred to it as an inside joke among some of the band members. Regardless, it was popular with fans and contained some interesting samples. No doubt. So first we open with Sam Kinison. And for all you youngins that don't know who Sam Kinison was, well, let's just say he was a comedian that you probably should not be listening to <laughs> until you're much older. But we can listen to his signature scream. That we can do. And you remember that? That was a thing. Dude, it was that, yeah. it was a thing for a while. For a while. So I'm the man also samples the Beastie Boys Fight for Your Right. So a pretty cool example of a band that has sampled a ton of other bands being sampled themselves. So let's hear that iconic yeah. Yeah. Remember from Fight for Your Right? Yeah. It's just cool. They just kind of snuck cool. that in there. And they also snuck in another sample of their metal peers in Metallica with James Hetfield's Snarl from Master of Puppets. So this one I just kind of put back to back for you. We'll sneak a little Metallica on this episode, too. Let's do it. Wow, that's, cra- that's crazy. So you know what my favorite sample is? Hmm, let's see. The sample of Run DMC's You Talk Too Much from their 1985 album King of Rock. Can we can we hear that one? Man, you have me from Hello. Let's do that. <laughs> let's do it. I'm the man! I'm bad! I'm so bad that you be detention! I'm the man! Shut up! <laughs> Shut up! I love this song right here, man. I love it. If you can see now you've had you've you've got a daughter, right? Yeah. yeah, and you've I know that you've played the the the, the parent that's gotta drive kids around, oh, yeah. right? Right. This is a song that I'm gonna play in my car <laughs> the next time I have a bunch of my son's friends in there. You talk way too much. Please, please. So you're doing it wrong. See that, that I enjoy that because I, I just pretend I'm not there so I can oh. hear what's all going on in the world. Oh boy. <laughs> so what I really love is how the band went back to some of its members' Jewish roots and interpolated the song Hava Nagila. Well, let us rejoice and hear that then. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Let's hear that. <laughs> I mean, we're dancing. Oh, man. That is pre- it is pretty cool. The way that they, I mean, of all the songs you could take to do right. this one. Let's hear how Hava Nagila is interpolated in all its metal glory. That's so cool. <laughs> this is what I would do if I were a Jewish metal guitarist. Right. Why not? So in March of 1987, Anthrax released their third studio album, Among the Living, which was certified gold and had songs about topics ranging from Stephen King novels to comic book characters like Judge Dredd, the life of John Belushi. Yeah, wow, that's, that's, that's a wide range of topics there. So this album is where they also started to tackle more political issues as well. In this case, the treatment of Native Americans on the song called Indians. Let's take a listen to that. playing. 
Well, definitely a band that knows how to have a good time. They have not shied away from social commentary either. So it's actually not a big surprise that they were fans of Public Enemy. So Scott Ian has stated that he, Charlie, and Frank all grew up in New York listening to as much rap as they did rock. So the band even makes an appearance on Brooklyn hip-hop group's UTFO's 1987 album, Lethal. So this was a crazy connection when I was researching. I had no idea that that actually happened. We talked about Untouchable Force Organization in a previous episode and the history of their hit, Roxanne, Roxanne, but... I didn't know they recorded a song with Anthrax. So let's have a listen to that title track from Lethal. Ooh. Okay. Right? It's crazy. I mean, they're jamming a lot of stuff together. But you can see how it's all kind of starting to take shape a little bit. It worked. So this was a year after the iconic collaboration between Run DMC and Aerosmith on Walk This Way. So this track is what a lot of folks point to as one of the original rap and rock collaborations. And we're not going to revisit a lot of that on this episode, but we should at least give it a spin. Because it's never bad to hear this. It isn't. It's never bad. I'm about to say this, this song, any day. Any day. Any day. And I've always thought that Steven Tyler's version of the chorus on this, the way he sings it, is superior to the original. Mm. Cool video, too. Yeah. So by now, it's pretty obvious that Anthrax has an affinity for metal and rap. Scott Ian has said that when he first heard Public Enemy, they instantly became his favorite rap group. That grew into a mutual respect, and he and Chuck D definitely became friends. Anthrax loved the original Bring the Noise track so much, they actually made a cover of it and sent it over to Chuck. Yeah, Scott Ian had always envisioned hearing Chuck D's voice over his guitar tone, so to make that collaboration in 1991 happen was a dream come true. Then the bands made a video together, and they had so much fun doing that that they realized, hey, we need to perform this in front of live audiences. So never once to shy away from pushing boundaries. They didn't just decide on a one-off show. Oh, no. No, 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 no. We're no, not, no, not no. going to do that. <laughs> oh, no. We're going to schedule a whole tour. Oh, yeah. A whole so. tour. Let's do that. So they wanted to see how their respective audiences would gel. And they were convinced that if you put their fans in the same place, they'd come to a mutual understanding of how similar rap and metal were, despite their obvious differences. Okay, so Chuck D said that with this tour... We're going to go for the juggler of doubt. For the most part of it, it worked. While on tour, Scott observed that fans of each act would stand off to the side while the other band performed. Yeah, but once both bands came on stage to perform Bring the Noise together, that separation ended and everyone came together en masse to mosh in the pit. Again, I would have loved to be at one of those shows. So the music industry definitely took notice. Uh, the bands found themselves doing interviews for both Headbangers Ball and Yo! MTV Raps on the same day. How cool is that, too? I mean, it, it's definitely cool, right? So it, it's like we always say, you know, music being the universal language. It sure is. And, and once again, proves that labeling any genre of music is a, it's a tricky beast. Agreed. Agreed. So speaking of genres, the Bring the Noise collab has been pointed to as being the birth of new metal. So when we talk about new metal, we're talking about bands like Korn, Limp Bizkit, and Linkin Park. Yeah, bands that I'm actually not particularly fond of personally. I kind of <laughs> prefer Rage Against the Machine, Faith No More, but 
you know what? That's what's great about music. We are all entitled to an opinion, and we like what we like. Yep, yep. So there's tons to cover on this topic, including established rap pioneers like Ice-T forming the metal band Body Count, which is also an album I had on heavy rotation, much to Tipper Gore's chagrin back in the day. <laughs> Man, we're going to need a whole other episode to cover that topic. So what do you say we stick to one particular album, right, that was groundbreaking in its own right and features some collaborations between many hip-hop and rock artists? So I have to think you were referring to the Judgment Night soundtrack from yes! 1993. Yeah. Yes! You know, I actually have never seen the movie, but I had this album, I still have this album, and it was on heavy rotation when it came out. Man, that is the one. This soundtrack was released in September of 93 and peaked at number 17 on the Billboard 200. You mentioned Faith No More, who collaborated with Booyah Tribe for the track Another Body Murdered. Let's hear that. Guys, it came hard, too. This would have been a crazy tour, too. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Well, we also have Pearl Jam and Cypress Hill working together on a track called Real Thing. Actually, Pearl Jam sounds a little heavier than usual on this one, so let's give it a spin. You're with Cypress Hill. You can't really help coming coming hard. You better. Yeah. I'm going to have to play this album again today. Yeah, that's nice. That's right up Cypress's uh, alley right there, right? Yeah. So I know you're a big Living Color fan, so why don't we play their collab with Run DMC, Me, Myself, and My Microphone. Oh, I like that. And nobody sounds like Vernon Reed. Just his tone and the crazy stuff he, like, makes work. It's cool. So this album also had Slayer and Ice-T covering the Scottish band The Exploited, Helmet working with House of Pain, Biohazard and Onyx doing the title track, but my favorite off of this album is the Teenage Fan Club collab with De La Soul. Let's listen to Fallen. I believe I used to be Mr. Steve Austin on the mic. Six million ways I used to run it. I guess Oscar Goldman got mad. Cause I got loose circuits. So loose. I mean, the mother goose with That's all right. That for them. Nice. Is that the Tom Petty's free falling there yeah, in the course? That's, that's Tom himself. Good ear. I also have an important question for you that. Well, I know your hat game is strong, so you okay with this? Yeah, hit me. Hit okay. me. Okay. Well, let's like let's take a listen to another line from the Fallen track. I just want to get your thoughts on this. I knew I blew the whole fan when the drum program Never could be like great fish So I I'm just curious, like where is Kangol positioned in the headwear universe these days? So I know Monster Crooner Gregory Porter wears a signature Kangol for his shows, but Please tell me it hasn't gone the way of the dinosaurs. Man, listen, I love Kangol. Okay. All right, I, I have a couple of their hats at home. And they look uh, good on you. I, I, I enjoy that hat. That's a hat that I enjoy. So so it's still, if you enjoy it, then it's then it's still cool. Yeah, if people are having a hard time finding it, you can go to Amazon. That's why. <laughs> <I'm saying. laughs> 
All right, my friend. Get, let's get prime. Get let's prime. close with <laughs> one more track that didn't make the Judgment Night soundtrack. This is a collab between Rage Against the Machine and Tool, Can't Kill the Revolution. So this track never quite met the high standards of both bands, and so it never was officially released, but you can thank the interwebs for this bootleg sample. Let's hear it. Oh, it's a bootleg. It's a, Eric's got to be like yeah. in his chair, like <laughs> just hating this right until, now. Until Zach comes in, you're like, whoa. Even on a bad bootleg, you can feel that energy. How can you not? Zach De La Rocha. Well, I know you and I could go on for hours about this episode. I'm afraid we are out of time. So what all did we cover today? We looked at the epic track, Bring the Noise. First the original by Public Enemy, and then the version by Anthrax that featured P.E. Then we played some of the great collaborations between rap and rock from the Judgment Night soundtrack. Awesome stuff, my friend. So what do we have lined up for our next episode? I'm so glad that you asked. We are going to head over to the diner hmm. and watch the centuries pass us by. Well, that sounds relaxing. Doesn't it? And if I didn't feel old already, I do now. <laughs> All right, sir. Well, until next time, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Riffs on Riffs. Keep listening. Huzzah. Riffs on Riffs is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thanks to executive producers, Joan Andrews and Michael D'Aloya. Producer, Julie Fink. Audio engineer, Eric Coltnow. You can listen to more episodes of Riffs on Riffs by finding us on iTunes, Stitcher, or visit evergreenpodcast.com. And don't forget, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us an iTunes review. It really helps. I'm your host, Joe Watson. And I'm your co-host, Toby Braswell. Thank you for listening to Riffs on Riffs. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chapotis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.